Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Bible, would you raise your hand? We want to make sure you have the Word of God in your lap this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to get you. you can, if you have a Bible, open up to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, again, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We got, got them right here. Um, if you're a guest with us this morning, we want to welcome you. We're glad you're here this morning, and what a blessing it is to be able to worship with you. There is a card in the seat back pocket in front of you called the Connect card. Fill it out. Take it out to our, um, our Welcome Center, which is directly across from our sanctuary, uh, the main entrance there. And we have a little packet of information about our church, who we are, what we believe, and um, which is, by the way, how you should choose a church is what they believe based on their doctrine because you're sitting week after week and hearing doctrine and you're, you're receiving it and hopefully uh, you believe that it's a biblical doctrine. And so you want to make sure that you understand what, whatever church you go to, that, um, that they're biblical, that they, they align with the scriptures. You may not agree 100% with every single doctrine that is there, but you should agree with the foundation. Uh, and if you don't, then, you know, you, you probably need to find a different place to fellowship because we need to be like-minded and as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we also need to, um, we don't want to sow disunity in the body. And so uh, make sure you grab one of those and... Uh, if you're like, man, I don't know, I've never done that. Well, guess what? There's a doctrine statement right in front of you in the seat back pocket in front of you. Grab it, take it with you. It's for, those cards are for you. So um, Colossians chapter 4 this morning, we are finishing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Colossians. And uh, as, as it, we stated last time, when we finished uh, the last book, was the book of Ephesians or Philippians, we, we did a little bit of a testimony the next Sunday afterwards. So guess what? Next Sunday is going to be a, a time of testimony. We have some, a couple other things special planned for next weekend, but next Sunday. But listen, the book of Colossians is all about the supremacy and the f- sufficiency of Christ. And so if we've sat through these, these studies verse by verse through the last couple months, I can't help but think that your life has been transformed and changed in some way. How can you sit before the Word of God, which is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and not be changed? Well, we can do it, I promise you, but has your life been changed? If it has, let's share it with one another. Let's encourage the body. And so what I'm looking for is like five or six people, five or six people in our body that would be willing to say, hey, you know what? This is how the book of Colossians transformed me. Maybe it was about, you know, you didn't understand who Jesus really is, and you came to that revelation through chapter one or, you know, whatever the Lord has done in your life, man, let's share it. You don't have to share a whole bunch. And in fact, if you're a little bit nervous of standing up here like I get oftentimes, then you know what? You can record yourself on your phone and you could send me that recording. We'll play it. So that way you, it, 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 but listen, there is no out. There is no way. You can't say, well, I don't know. No, no, you can do it. I promise. I promise. And it'll be encouraging. You know, when Jesus sent the disciples two by two out, they came back, and what did they do? They shared what God had done in their lives, and it was so encouraging. Let's encourage the body. Uh, It would be awesome to hear from you. So if there's five or six people in here that the Holy Spirit right this moment is going, that's you, and it is you, it's you, the Holy Spirit's talking to you right now, so make sure that you obey him, and you come talk to me after the service or get with me early next week sometime so that we can plan that, all right? Everybody with that? If you're online and you want to share, share something with us that the Lord has done in your life, uh, you can email me at tim at calvaryofcolumbia.org, or if you're on the radio, you can uh, call the church, or you can check out our website, cccolumbia.org, or, or you can email me as well. So that does it in the way of what's going to happen next week. How about we get into this week, Colossians chapter 4. Now, we've been walking through... Really, the last two chapters of Colossians is all about the Christian lifestyle. What does this lifestyle look like? Uh, the, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, is about the resurrected life. What does the resurrected life look like? As we moved on to um, last week to chapter 3, verse 18, through chapter 4, verse 1, we talked about what does the Christian's home life and their work life look like? Like, what, is, what, what are the characteristics of somebody that's a Christian in the home and in the workplace. This morning, we're going to talk about something that I think is absolutely vital to the body of Christ. 
It's all about mission. It's about staying on mission. That's the title of my message this morning, staying on mission. We're talking about a missional lifestyle now. As Paul closes out this chapter, he's going to talk to us about, hey, I'm a Christian, great, now what? Well, you're resurrected, so your life needs to look like this. Here's how it look, needs to look at home in the workplace, and this is what it should look like in the world. And there are multiple different characteristics that we're going to take a look at this morning that should be in your life, things that God should be doing in your, in your heart and how you should be relating to others. Um, but this is definitely not an exhaustive teaching on the subject, but, but there's much of the, the, much of the characteristics are present in our text this morning, and so we're going to take a look at it from that perspective, from a missional lifestyle perspective. And so stand with me, if you would, please. We're going to read Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. Colossians 4, verse 2. Thank you. See, I need some accountability here. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Uh, wisdom, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the, in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Um, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is also called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear, witness, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the, the letter from Laodicea. And say to Ar Ar Archippus, see that your ministry, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And there are many, many things in it that we need to be reminded of this morning. Will you help us? Will you come and speak into our lives, Lord? We just want to be changed and transformed. We want to become more like Jesus. And so will you use your word this morning to just shape us, refine us, Lord, do whatever is necessary. Get our attention today, please. We give our hearts over to you now. We ask for you to speak. By the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Before we get into the, the characteristics of staying on mission, we have to understand what our mission is. What is the mission of uh, the church? What is the mission of the church? To make disciples, right? The, the, the really, honestly, the, the, now, here's the thing. is the, the church, when I say the church, I'm not talking about the entity. I'm talking about the individual, the body of Christ. That's the church. We're the church. Without us, there is no church. So we're the church, but there are two different uh, missions for the individual, and then there's a mission for the entity, and we'll talk about that, that in a second. But the mission of the individual is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. You know the verses. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, 
the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The mission of the church individual is take action. If you want to summarize it, Jesus said, go take action. You're, you're to go, uh, you're, you're to make, you're to baptize, and you're to teach. Those are the action words in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Uh, no one is to sit on their hands. Everybody has a purpose and a mission, and it's the same one. It's to go. It's to make disciples. It's to baptize them. It's to teach them to what? Observe all that he has commanded you. That is the mission of the individual. What is the mission of the church entity? I think the church entity has not necessarily, it, it, it's, that might be a secondary part. Evangelism might be a secondary part. But really the core purpose of us gathering here today is really Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. It says this, And he, speaking of God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. These are the offices of the church entity. So God has given these, these offices to the church, what? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in faith. So what is the primary purpose of the church entity? It's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Something has been mixed up in the mission. The mission of the individual somehow has become the mission of the entity. Somewhere along the lines in the last how many ever years, uh, you know, I'm sure the guys in the 18th century saw this coming and were speaking about it. But somewhere along the lines, the church entity said, hey, we're going to focus on evangelism. We're going to focus solely on winning souls to Christ. And that's not the purpose of the entity. The purpose of the entity is for saved people to come in to be equipped so that they can go back out and fulfill their mission, which is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Something is mixed up in our culture, folks, where we are saying to people, hey, come to church with me and you can get saved there. No, that's your job. That's your job. I, I mean, I'll gladly lead people to Christ. But here's the thing is, if I'm doing it from here, that means somebody else didn't do it. And not that God can't do that. And God does draw people, you know. But what I'm saying is, is that we have an evangelistic mission as a part of the body of Christ. You as an individual have a mission. And it is to go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say make converts. What does that mean? That means we don't just share Christ with somebody and leave them to themselves. Hey, I'm glad you received Christ. See you later. You don't know. We're called to make disciples. What, that means that you take time, you sit with them, you teach them, you help them to grow in Christ. This is what the body of Christ has done. And I'll tell you what, it is it complete, I, I want to say completely, but largely ignored. Largely ignored. The, the Great Commission before Jesus, listen, some of the most important words that a person can say are the ones that are their last. And some of the last words that Jesus spoke were go into all the world and make disciples. I mean, if Jesus left on that note, I think it was an important note. He was saying, church, you have to go spread the gospel. You have to go out and spread the gospel. We have, we have turned, this modern-day Christianity has turned into this thing where the church has to schedule evangelism. The church has to schedule all these different things because we're not on mission. Because we're not on mission. This is a great passion of mine. 
It's a great passion of mine to, to, to exhort the church of Jesus Christ to go out and get on mission and do what we're called to do. Now, I don't know you. That is true. I, I don't know every single thing that's going on in your life, and I don't know what you're doing and what you're not doing. But statistically speaking, I do know this, that not very many people are sharing their faith. Not very many people are sharing their faith. I mean, I'll ask you a very convicting question. How many people have you led to the Lord in the last year? How many people have you led to the Lord in the last five years? How many people have you led to the Lord in the last 10 years? Listen, statistically speaking, only 5% of Christians have led somebody to the Christ. Does that sound like we're on mission? Does that sound like the early church, that they're on mission? Uh, it, it, only 20% of people witness regularly, and only 2% are involved in the ministry of evangelism. Now, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to inform you that something has to change in the church entity. The church entity can't, can't, it, it is called to disciple people. And, you know, it's interesting that when you're a disciple making, when you're a, um, you know, a, a church that is all about equipping, you equip people, that you bring the word Listen, not a lot of people want to go to a church like that because we have, we have made church something that it should never be. Um, the, church, the church entity uh, largely has abandoned equipping as well. Not only is the church individual not, not doing what they're doing, but now the church entity also is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's not teaching the word of God. So you go to a church and you hear some really funny things from the guy and, you know, and, and all of that and your life stays exactly the same and you leave this place and you're like going to the world and you have the same problems everybody else has and you have no power to deal with it in your life because you're not equipped, because you're not prepared to deal with those things. Somebody said that the, the, the church entity has, um, the church entity is, is, is like a pasture in this day and age, a pasture full of astroturf. It looks amazing to the sheep, but... There's not much to eat. Looks amazing to the church, but it's not much to eat. Perhaps many believers are off mission because the church is off mission. The, the entity is off mission and not teaching the word of God. Listen, the early church was real simple, folks. They taught the word of God. They got together. They fellowship. They broke bread. They, they celebrated communion, and they prayed together. Those four things. That's really what church, it, it, that's what we're called to be as a body. And unfortunately, that's not happening today. So, rather than continuing to be part of the problem, let's be part of the solution. So let's straighten stuff out and let's like, okay, let's get on mission. You guys with me? Anybody with, hey, I want to get on mission? I, do you not want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Do you not want to hear Jesus say, man, you were on mission Thank you so much for going out and proclaiming my name. Do you not want to hear that from Jesus? Because you'll stand before him one day, listen, and he will evaluate your life. You might get into heaven. Praise God for that. But what we want to do as people that who, who, are, who are living under the, Christ, under the lordship of Christ, we want to serve him well. We want to do well. And so we want to hear him say, man, I am so thankful for you that you stood you know, through that you were steadfast on bringing the, the, the message of the gospel to people who need to hear it. I am so thankful for the people in my life that shared the gospel with me. I am thankful that, that they didn't go, man, he didn't want to hear it because I was hardened on the outside and I would have told you I don't want to hear that. Listen, I'm sure that you're the same way. Aren't you thankful that somebody was being led by the Holy Spirit and they sowed a seed in your life? My seed didn't come to fruition until later in the middle of the night in my bedroom, but it came to fruition. And whoever it was, there were many people that sowed seed into my life. And listen, they all have a, they all have a reward in heaven because of what, not only because I became a Christian, but because of what I'm doing now even. And so that reward is perpetual. Whatever, you, you sow a seed in somebody else's life, whatever they do the rest of their life, you, you partake in the fruit of that. Listen, our motto for, for our church is three things. To grow, to go, and to give. To grow, go, give. This is real simple. 
We can't do the latter two until we're doing the first one. I mean, we can go through the motions, but it won't be with the right heart and with the right understanding. We have to grow in Christ. We have to know God's word. We need to be in God's word, right? And then, we, and then as we know God's word, and it doesn't mean that you have to be a theologian. Like all you need to know is the gospel and you can change somebody's life. All you need to do is say, listen, I don't know where you are, or what you're doing, but I know that Jesus died for you. He rose again from the dead for you. And if you believe in that, he will transform your life. Does everybody know that? Everybody knows that? That's called the gospel. That's all you need to know. But you should be studying on a daily basis, like trying to get to know the Lord more. And as you do, he'll, he'll give you different projects to work on. He'll, give you, he'll put you in different people's lives so that you can, you can make an impact for eternity in these people's lives. And so we're called to grow in Christ, and then we're called to go and spread the gospel. We gather so that we can scatter. We come together so we can be encouraged. It's like a fueling point, and then we go back out into the world, and we tell people about Jesus, and we live our lives in such a way that it would make people raise an eyebrow, like, dude, what, what is up with that guy? Why is he not, not, not looking down on people, but living side by side with them, right? In, in such a way that they're like, dude, that guy is, that guy is awesome. You know what? Because Jesus is awesome. I mean, Jesus is awesome, dude. And when you're living like Jesus, people are going to say, man, you're awesome, but it's not you. <laughs> don't, don't you dare take his glory. You're not awesome, but Jesus is awesome. And so when you're living like Jesus and you're going out into the world, people are going to be like, man, that, there's something awesome about that guy. Then you can say, let me tell you what's awesome about me. It's me. No, it's Jesus. Jesus is what is awesome about me. And then you can give. Listen, part of one of the, one of the issues in the body of Christ, and this is not my plea for you to give money to the church because you know what? That's between you and the Lord. But here's what I will tell you is that if you hold on to all your possessions like this, the Lord will hold on to all his blessings on your life. You know, as we grow and we go and we watch God work, our hands, it's so amazing, but our hands start to do this and they start to open up and the Lord starts to use you as just a, a, a channel, and he starts to flood blessings in and through your life because he knows you're going to distribute them back out. So give. Give. Give of your time, your talents, your finances. You give to the glory of God for the kingdom of God, that the kingdom might be, uh, you know, the, the kingdom might grow. We need to get back on mission, and that is for everyone. So are you guys ready to go through this together? How do we get on mission? Number one, it always starts with prayer. It always starts with prayer. Look at verse 2. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul, Paul reminds every believer, those in Colossae, those who are reading it later, those in the Laodicean church and Hierapolis, and also us today, he is telling us all that prayer is a vital part of the Christian life. How in the world do you think you're going to stay on mission if you don't pray? Because personal prayer to God is your lifeline. It ought to be one of those things. And, and listen, I'm preaching to the choir here because we all know we should pray more. I mean, one of the, one of the most detrimental things, one of the things, common things that almost everyone says is, if you could change one thing about your life, what would it be? Almost, almost everybody would say, I could pray more. I wish I would have prayed more. I wish I would have prayed to the Lord more. Why? Because God needs to know what's going on in your life because he doesn't know? No, that's not really the point. The point is so that your heart and your mind can get aligned with his. When you pray to the Lord and you're conversing with the Lord, the Lord is also aligning you with his will. You know, unless you're, you just don't let him speak, that also can happen. Where we're so busy with the list of God that we're just, we're praying and we're praying, we're praying. And da, 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 thank you, Lord. See you later. Give him a, a little bit of room to breathe. Give him just a little bit of room to speak into your life. But, but here's the thing. If, 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 if we want to be on mission for the Lord, we have to be prayerful people. We have to be people that are on our knees. We have to be people that are saying, God, I need you to align my heart with your heart. So Paul tells us that we're to continue steadfastly. Now, there's three different characteristics of prayer that he's talking about here. First, it's steadfastly. That means to continue to do something with intense effort despite difficulty, to devote oneself to, to keep on, to persist on, to hold fast and to not let go. Sounds like it might take a little work. Sounds like it might 
bust into a little bit of me time. That's okay because this is valuable. This is incredible as, we, as we, we're called to continue steadfastly in, its, in his exhortation. He's saying, why, do, why is he telling us this? We know this because we need reminded. We need to be steadfast in prayer. Not only that, we also need to be watchful. He literally, to stay alert or to be on alert. This reminds me of what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember? When his disciples were there with him and they were, they were praying. You know how you do that. You know, you pray with the Lord when you're sleeping. You're like, I'm praying. You know, Lord, I'm praying. And you're, he's like, oh yeah, I hear you. Z, Z, Z. Hey, it's like having your, like falling asleep and have your finger on the Z button. Z, you know, you're, you're, you're praying. He, he goes back to his disciples and he says, man, can't you guys just watch and pray for a, just a minute? But I love what he says. The, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. God isn't beating you up on prayer. He's just stating the facts. Listen, I know that your body is tired. I know that your flesh is distracted, but the spirit is willing. So who are you going to yield to? You're going to yield to the flesh? You're going to yield to the spirit? If you, listen, if you hit the pillow and you're asleep like that, that's probably not a good time to say, okay, that's going to be my prayer time. I'm going to pray when I, when I go to bed. I wouldn't do that. If I were you, I'd be the kind of person that says, I'm going to pray as soon as I get up because that's better for me. Like, I need to have, like, at least a half a cup of coffee before I start praying because then the Lord's going to be like, dude, I can't even make sense of what you're saying, man. You just, you need some coffee and then come talk to me, right? So, so he, he wants us to be alert. He wants us to be alert. That means that not only are we, are we on on the mark when it comes to stuff in our own life, but we're like on the mark on what's going on in other people's lives. Like we're alert. We're watching. The Lord's speaking to us like, hey, you need to be, be mindful of this person, man. They're really, as the Lord puts people on your lot, in your heart, you start to pray for them. You don't even know what's going on in their life. Be alert. Be awake. Not only that, but also be thankful. Be thankful. Our prayers ought to be filled with thanksgiving, man. If we could only utter, utter one phrase, it ought to be, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He's done so much for us. Listen, so oftentimes we're saying, here's what I need you to do. How about just saying, Lord, thank you for all that you have done. You're so good to me. So the first step in being missional is, 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 is prayer, personal communication with God. Secondly, it, it, it's also praying evangelistically. Paul goes on and says in verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open up to us a door for the word to declare the mis mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now, Paul is, um, Paul's ask here for these believers in Colossae isn't financial provision. He's not asking them to give a whole bunch. He's not asking them to uh, pray for his deliverance. He's not asking them to, you know, Lord, hey, will you guys just pray and like, like, like they did in Philippi and they shook the foundation of the prison and I walked out freely? I could have anyway. I didn't. I, I led the prisoner to the Lord. I led the, um, the, the guard and his family to the Lord. But no, he's saying, pray that the door of the gospel would open up for me. Not only that, but that I would also be able to communicate it well. Like, here's a guy who's communicated the gospel over and over and over and over again, and yet he's saying, will you pray that I'll be able to communicate it better? Will you pray that I'll be able... And what he's saying is, is that, like, the, the gospel of the message, the, the gospel message never changes. It's the same thing, right? But we can say it in 150 different ways. And sometimes, when you encounter people, they need to hear a special, uh, you know, um, they need to hear the gospel in a special way. You know, and the Lord gives you the ability to do that. He's saying, pray that God will give me the ability to speak into people's lives in a special way that the door of the gospel would be opened. That's his prayer. He's in prison. He's not praying, get me out of prison. He's not praying, Lord, help me, um, you know, help me uh, get out of this place so that I, I don't have to suffer. He's saying, oh, just pray that the gospel would be opened. Pray that the gospel would be opened. So oftentimes, our prayer is, Lord, deliver me. God, get me out of this situation. Here's what maybe we need to understand is that your hardship, your difficulty, your trial, 
is part of the mission. Right? He said you're going to experience difficulties in life. You're going to experience persecution. You're going to experience tribulation. It's part of the mission. And in the midst of that, God is going to open a door for the gospel to go into people's lives. So if you're battling a diagnosis, man, and the Lord, and you're just saying, Lord, I need you to heal me and take me out of this situation, maybe the prayer is, Lord, I need you to give me the strength to share the gospel with the nurse that's going to come in and talk to me or the doctor that's going to come in and talk to me or the, the receptionist that's receiving me in as I come in. Lord, help me to be spiritually perceptive because here's the thing. It's not about this life. It is not about this life. We will all day, we, we will all one day take the dirt nap. We all will. That is reality. What I care about is being effective for Christ today. You know, I, I'm not saying I want to die. I'm just saying that, you know what, it's going to happen. And I want to use my time wisely, as he'll talk about here in a minute. Maybe your circumstance that you're going through right now is providential. Maybe God, and I don't even say maybe, he has allowed whatever it is in your life. I'm not saying he caused it. I'm telling you that he's allowed it because he wants to open a door. For something greater, maybe in your heart, maybe in somebody else's heart. And he uses all kinds of tragic things. But if God's people aren't on mission, we will miss it. We will miss the opportunity of the gospel door being opened. We need to pray for that door. And that means that when our brothers and sisters are going through hardships, the, the first thing we want to see is them delivered from it. But we should be praying, Lord, your will be done. God wants us to, 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 be, to live it live in freedom. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is that there's a purpose for whatever it is that he's allowed in your life. And Paul's saying, hey, I'm in prison for the gospel's sake, and I want you to pray that God will open up even a further door that I might be able to share the gospel. Our prayer should be, all of, should be a missional prayer that's gospel-centered, that says, Lord, how can you get the gospel out further in my life? Whatever it takes, Lord. Now he's going to move into some characteristics of what it looks like to live missionally. And he, he first tells us to walk wisely in verse 3. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders making the best use of time. Missional living means that, it, that we use every moment as a means of preaching the gospel. He, he tells us to walk. That literally means how we live and how we behave daily. How we live and how we behave daily should preach the gospel. <laughs> I, I, I was... It's interesting, you know, you get on Facebook and you, you just, you can read all kinds of interesting things about people. And one, I read this meme the other day. Um, for those of you that don't know what that is, it's a picture with some text on it. That's kind of a joke. So, you know, if you're not familiar with that, uh, okay. But, but it, sometimes it's not a joke. Sometimes this is people. They, 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 this lady posted something on her Facebook. I don't know her. I don't know anything about her. But I, I know I do not agree with the statement. She said, I'm a Christian. I'm not a very good example of one. I cuss, I drink. I'm not always in a good place, but I love my God and I trust him even when it's hard. Now, some of you guys are going to get really, really mad at me right now, but listen, that's not, what, that's not lining up with what Paul just said in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. He said, walk in wisdom. He didn't say proclaim to the whole world, um, you know, that, that you're not a good example for, of a Christian. If you're not a good example of a Christian, don't say anything. If you're not a good example of a Christian, don't tell everybody, hey, I'm not a good example of a Christian, but I love Jesus. Listen, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if that does not convict your heart, I don't know what will. He said, if you love me, you're going to do what I say, right? You're going to, not because you have to, because you want to. You, wanna, you want to please the Lord. I'm a Christian, but I'm totally living contrary to what Christ wants me to live, however he wants me to live. And I'm not talking about cussing. I'm not talking about drinking. I'm not talking about these things. I'm talking about a daily life. It could be your anger. It could be, it could be all kinds of different things that you're misrepresenting God on. And you're saying, but I'm a Christian, and I'm okay because I love God. Well, Jesus says, you're going to demonstrate your love for me by what you do. So if you're really living like that, then you don't really love me is what he's saying. And I would say there's many, many times in my life where I say, Lord, I love you, 
And the Lord says, no, you don't. Not as much as you think you do because of what you're doing, because of how you're living. He, he, he tells us in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John, the apostle wrote in John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and what? Obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? What is that saying? That's saying that it's not saying you're going to be perfect. Not at all. But it is saying that there's a standard and you should kind of try and shoot for it. Like, you know, we're, 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 we live under grace. Yes. And it's not about the law. The law is not the way that we get saved, but it should demonstrate that we are saved. We don't get legalistic, but we, we appeal to the law of love. So we we love God by doing what he says. Jesus, I love you. So I'm going to share you with other people. Jesus, I love you. And so I'm going to do the good things, the good deeds that you have me to do. These things, why am I doing them? Because you love Christ. Listen to me. Everything that you do in your life is a result of love. Everything. If you're sinning, it's because you love yourself. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're a giver, it's because you love people, and that's why you do it. Whatever you do in your life is a result of love. Love is your motivation, and it's love for self, and it's love for other people. It's love for things. Some of us work our tails off, you know, crazily because we love things, and that's why we do it. Love is the motivation, folks. Ask yourself, look into your life today and say, what do I really love? All you have to do is look around. What is your life circling around? What is your pursuit? That's what you really love. Jesus said, if man, if you love me, you're going to do what I say. Paul says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. So love Christ and, and do what he says. He, he's telling us, making the best use of the time. Listen, you don't know how much time you have, and I don't know how much time I have. We don't know how much time we have, right? Like there's a prophetic time clock ticking, there's also a biological time clock ticking. And so time is a factor. Like you don't have forever. You've got a, a period of time that you can sell yourself up to the Lord and you can do whatever it is that he's calling you to do or you don't have to. You can do what you want. He's not going to make you do it. But I'm just telling you that we need to walk in wisdom towards outsiders because we don't have a lot of time. You don't have time to screw around, man. It's time to get serious, like for real. I know me, I'm 47 years old. My dad died at 60, 64. So let's say I follow his path. 20 years? I had 20 years? No, we don't know how much time we have. And I, I again, I want to do everything I can to live for the Lord. And I, I know you do too, so let's take his exhortation seriously. Let's walk in wisdom. Not only that, but let's also be careful about how we speak. Look at verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. How many of you would agree that you can say all the right things in all the right, wrong ways? Anybody agree with that? Like you can say all the right things, but say them in all the wrong ways. So, so there, there's a dynamic there in which the tone of it's not necessarily what we say, but also how we say it. Like the tone of our speech matters. Um, when I go to talk to my kids and I'm telling them, you know, hey, I need you to do this. And they're like, dude, why are, you, why are you yelling at me? And I'm like, well, I'm not yelling at you. I'm just communicating with you in a loud way. That's just, hey, you know. No, listen, be careful. Let your speech always be gracious. That means with your kids, even when you're disciplining them. That means in your, with your coworkers when they're driving you nuts. That means 
with your pastor when he's, you just want to wring his neck. You know, you're just, hey, be gracious, man. Speak with grace. We're called to speak the truth. And let me tell you something. The truth is a freight train. The truth itself is a freight train. You don't have to make it a freight train. It already is. You don't have to add to it. You don't have to overemphasize to make it more impactful. This is God's word. It is impactful. He needs not your help. Why do you think Jonathan Edwards spoke in monotone? He spoke in monotone because God's word doesn't need his help. You know, we don't have to overemphasize things because we want to get, make it impactful. God's word, the truth is impactful. But we just need to simply speak it in grace. Jesus did that. He spoke the truth always, but he spoke it graciously. You know, when he went to his home, hometown, and it says he went into a synagogue, and they, they asked him to read, do the reading there, and so he grabs the scroll of Isaiah, he pulls it out, and, uh, and he reads the, this portion of Scripture that's speaking about him. And then in Luke chapter 4, verse 21, you can read the whole account later, but he goes, he, he said, today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now check this out. Verse 22 says, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Whoa. <laughs> they didn't know what was coming. The freight train was coming. He's being gracious. And listen, we can speak graciously into people's lives, but the truth will level people. And it's not us doing it. Jesus goes on to tell them, listen, you guys are unbelieving. He doesn't say it plainly like that. He quotes some scriptures from the Old Testament, and then, he, and, and, and then it says, as soon as he was done with that, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And the, the, the account goes on to say that they led him out to the knoll where they were going to throw him off and kill him. His own hometown, man. Like, they got so upset with him. Why? Not because of how he said something, but because of what he said. His words are gracious, but his word is a demolition ball. And that's why we need to be in his word. Because we get all these false premises built up in our minds, all our little doctrines that we think are good until we come across the word of God. And then the Lord says, I need to knock that down. And he sends the wrecking ball through in a gracious way. Because he loves you. That's why he does it. Paul goes on to say it needs to, be, needs to have a little, bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of flavor to it. It needs to be tasteful but truthful. So he says also it needs to be seasoned with salt. Now salt is interesting because it not only gives flavor, but it, all, it makes things palatable. But listen, if it gets in a wound, it hurts. You ever got salt into a wound before? It hurts, but you know what it also does? It purifies. It cleans. It cleans. God's word sometimes is going to hurt you. It's going to be like pouring salt into a wound. But know this, that God's purpose, I don't know about the purpose of the person telling you whatever it is that's being said, but God's purpose is that that salt would heal you. He wants his word to, 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 to bring healing in your life. And that's why it's salt. It can do that. We should take the advice of David in Psalm chapter 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Be careful what you say. Isn't that the little children's rhyme? Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Be careful how you say God's word. Be careful that when you pull the sword out, that you wield it with grace and that you wield it with, as, as you are sowing salt into somebody's life for the purpose of healing, not for the purpose of destruction. And that also means unbelievers. When you're addressing unbelievers and you're saying, yeah, but the Bible says this. And listen, if you get to a point in a conversation, please hear this. If you get into a point of a conversation where you are going for the jugular, God is not glorified. Stop talking, please. And you can just say, whoa, whoa. I, and, and, you know, you should be your own governor there. But if you can't listen to the person telling you, whoa, whoa, brother, whoa, sister, you need to chill out. Don't take that personally. So you can say that to me if you want. Be like, cool, 
I'll chill out. So he goes on here and he tells us, you know, we need to missionally minded people, people that are on mission are uh, going to walk wisely. We're going to speak graciously. We're also going to be faithful and encouraging. He goes on and he talks about these different people that uh, Paul has walked with and what the characteristics, and we're just going to look at the characteristics of their lives. We're, we don't know a lot about some of these guys and whatnot, but, but we'll, we'll kind of give you a highlight of what we do know. But he goes on here in, in verse 7. He says, Tychicus will, also, will tell you all about my activities. He mentions Tychicus and he mentions Onesimus here. And notice that he tells us that they are faithful and beloved brothers to Paul. Now, Tychicus is apparently um, the one who's going to carry this letter to them. He was, he, was from, he was with Paul in Ephesus on the third missionary journey to Jerusalem where Paul was arrested uh, and sent to Rome. And uh, all the while, Tychicus stood by his side. He, he supported Paul, and, and, and he, gave, he was a source of encouragement to Paul. Oh, how wonderful it is to have a Tychicus in your life, isn't it? Isn't it somebody that's with you through the thick and thin, that is just by your side, but is also encouraging you along the way, saying, hey, man, just keep, keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Just, just know that the Lord is at work, and he knows what he's doing. Then, then he's talking about Onesimus, and Onesimus is kind of an interesting cat. He's from Colossae, and he was a, a runaway slave, and so he, 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 uh, Philemon was his slave owner, and uh, he, uh, he, he, whatever, got, he said, I'm out of here. He ran away from him, and uh, he got to know Paul in Rome. He got saved, and uh, Paul says, Paul understood his story. He heard about his story, and what did he do? He said, dude, you need to go back. You need to make this right. You need to go talk to Philemon. You need to tell him, listen, I, I got saved. I'm sorry for what I've done. You're my master. I surrender to you. Why? Because that's what he just said. He said, slaves, obey your masters. And so he sends also a letter to Philemon, who's in Colossae, which is also a book of the Bible, by the way. And he, you can read that later, this little short letter that says, Philemon, when you see Onesimus, I hope you embrace him as a brother because he got saved and God is doing a massive work in his heart. And I, I would want you to, whatever he debt owes, whatever debt he owes, put it on me. Paul is being just like Jesus in that letter, and he's just saying, I'll pay whatever debt he owes you. I pray that you would embrace him like a brother. He's received the grace, and, and if you have anything negative to say, just give me a call. That's not what he said, but that's what he meant. Look me up when I'm there. We'll talk about it. He's, he's yielding to the grace and the mercy of God. So this is Onesimus. They are both faithful and encouragers to, um, to those who were in Colossae, also to Paul. And so living a missionary lifestyle will require one to be faithful and encouraging. Secondly, sacrificial. Look at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Aristarchus is a Jewish believer um, with a Greek name. He was with Paul during his third missionary journey in Ephesus. He's the one that got grabbed by the angry mob there in Ephesus where they were crying out because all of the, um, the idol guilds had gone dry because the gospel had gone forward and changed people's lives. They weren't going to see Diana you know, of the, uh, of the Ephesians there. And so uh, um, Paul started a riot as he did in many, many places he went. Again, speaking the truth in love. Um, and so anyway, Archicus, uh, Aristarchus got surrounded. He got, he got held up. And, um, and then he went with Paul from Ephesus to Jerusalem, went through all of that process, followed Paul all the way to Rome. He gave up his life. Listen. He gave up his life to serve Paul. He said, you know, I, I'm, I'm called to be your servant. Whatever you need, I'm going to take care of your needs. And so he lived this total sacrificial lifestyle to Paul. And that is what a missions-minded person looks like. They are somebody that's sacrificial, that their life is about other people, not themselves. Thirdly, we are to be comforters to others. And he goes on in verse 10 there, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So he's given instruction about Mark. John Mark is uh, Barnabas's cousin. He's the guy that uh, created the um, initial split. Paul didn't necessarily always consider uh, Mark a source of comfort. He, so he was a source of contention at one point with he and Barnabas. You remember in the book of Acts where they split up and they're like, it was all because of John Mark here. John Mark started because he wasn't on mission at the time. And Paul goes, dude, we cannot take somebody that's not on mission 
out in the mission field and become a discourager to us. He's halfway there, and he's like, dude, I want to go home. I want to go home. Paul's like, we're not taking that guy. And Barnabas is like, come on, man. We need to encourage him. And Barnabas is an encourager. And he said, no, we're not taking him. So they split. Barnabas took John Mark on a missionary journey, and Paul went on his own. And then he ended up, uh, you know, hooking up with Silas, and uh, they went on their way. But, um, but here's the thing is John Mark got on mission. Not only did, did John Mark become a source of comfort to Paul, but do you know that he wrote the gospel of Mark? So this is the same guy. Like this guy wasn't on mission, and when he got on mission, God used him incredibly. What can God do in your life? So he talks about John Mark, and then he talks about Jesus, who is also called Justice. These are also men of the circumcision. They're Jews and follow workers of the kingdom of God. They have been a comfort to me, Paul says. We don't know anything about this fella, Justice, except for we know that he's Jewish and that he's a source of comfort to Paul. We should be sources of comfort as we are living missionally. And he goes on here in verse 12. We should also be intercessional. Now, Epaphras is the next guy he mentions. Epaphras is... Who is Epaphras? Anybody remember that name from, the, from here? Who is Epaphras? Huh? Yeah, he's a minister. Do you know where he's ministering? He's, he's really the pastor of Colossae. He's the guy that came to Paul in the, up front and he said, hey, listen, there's false teachers in, in Colossae, in the church. We need help. And so he's coming. He also probably um, planted other churches in his area, but he was definitely... Um, uh, the, the dude who planted this church and the pastor of this church. And uh, notice what it, and, and we can see his pastor heart for these people. Listen to what he says. Paul says, he was, he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Listen, a pastor, the elders of a church, should always be struggling on the behalf of the people. They should be praying like, Lord, just grieving. Lord, will you, will you work in these people? What, what is the prayer? Will you mature them? Will you give them full assurance of your will? Like it's two things. He's just saying mature them and Lord, help them understand what, their, what your will is for their life. He's pleading for them. This is a pastor's heart. He's an intercessor of God's people. Listen, you are living on mission when you become an intercessor for other people and you're worried about God maturing them and you're worried about God revealing his will to them. Finally, mission-minded people are communal. Look at verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha, to the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodicea and see that you also read the letter of, from the Laodiceans and say to Archippus, see, some of these names, man, you know, it's like, who, who names your kid Archippus, you know, like, you guys going to name your little one Archippus? I don't think so, right? It's like, man, I don't even, anyways, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have been received in the Lord. I, Paul, write greet this greeting with my own hand, remember my chains, grace be to you. Now, there's three people that are mentioned in this passage. It's Luke, it's Demas, and it's Paul himself. All three of these guys have the same mind. They're about the body of Christ. Listen, Luke doesn't know these guys, but he's saying, tell him I said hi. Hey, just make sure you tell him I said hi, Paul, because I, I love those guys. And Demas is the same thing, man. He's like, tell them that I said hi. And Paul's saying, hey, we greet you guys, man. You are our brothers. And we greet the brothers in Laodicea. And tell Nympha, you know, they're, 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 they're just glorying over the body. Now, Paul hasn't been here yet. He only knows these people because of Epaphras. But he's saying, man, I love them. I love them. Do you love the body of Christ? Do you love what God is doing in other parts of the body? Do you just, man, oh, tell, I don't even know. Listen, when you, you know how it is when you, you cross a Christian's path that you don't know, and you like, all of a sudden you start talking to them, and you're like, dude, I feel like I've known you for like 30 years. You know what I mean? Like the spirit is just bearing witness, and you're just like, whoa, this is crazy. I love you so much, you know, and <laughs> you're hugging each other. You don't know each other. What's wrong with you? I mean, that's the body of Christ, man. But Paul is saying, this, this is what community is all about. Now, we all talk about community. I want to be part of a community. I just think there should be a better community in the body of Christ. Well, let me tell you something. It starts with you. 
right? Community starts with you, right? We, again, if we're dependent on the church to schedule community, that's a problem. That's not, the, that's not real community. That's fake community. Real community just happens, folks. It's a result of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. People that are missions-minded, people that are on mission for Christ that, that get it, are saying, I want to be around the body of Christ. I want to be part of that community. I, I, you know, I'm not going to leave. And if I, if I feel like I'm on arm length distance, guess what? I'm going to butt myself right in there because I'm part of the body of Christ and I want to be part of community. If you have that thought in your mind that you're saying, man, I don't know. Is this, this, this isn't really community. Well, start it. You start it. You be community. You start reaching out to other people. Listen, if you want to have a friend, you got to be a friend. And it starts in the body of Christ. And we all have the same father, right? So we're like brothers and sisters. So we should just be like, hey, man, high five. Let's get together for lunch or dinner or whatever. Let's hang out. We did that on Friday night. It was awesome. We had such a good time. It's so fun to get together with the body of Christ and just, just hang out. Listen, I know everybody's busy. But if you're too busy but you're crying about community, that's your fault. You need to do it, man. You need to make time to be part uh, of the community of the body of Christ because it exists, but you gotta, you got to put, put yourself into it. Paul ends with this heartfelt general greeting to, uh, to, and he exhorts this dude named Archippus. And what is he telling Archippus? Get on mission, brother. What's he saying? Get on mission. I'm encouraging you to get on mission, to fulfill the ministry that God has given you. Get on mission, brother. And that's what he's exhorting us to do here as well. Get on mission. Paul, Paul uh, ends with the idea that, hey, man, I'm pinning this myself. And, you know, I get it back in this day, that's a big deal. You know, whoop-de-doo, you, you sent me an email because that's not a big deal in this culture, right? Or you sent me a text, awesome, you know, whatever. But Paul is literally writing himself, which is kind of a big deal. He, that's telling these people, I love you. I love you, then I'm going to take the pen myself and write it. Because they usually, generally, he dictated his letters and somebody else wrote them down. And it could have been because he had some issues with writing or whatever, but he wanted them to know, hey, I'm writing this. I'm writing this because I love you. And he says, remember my chains. And, and you know, it's as it, hey, man, just keep praying. Just keep praying. And uh, remember my chains. And I don't know if he's saying that in the, in the sense of, hey, man, remember the gospel costs you something. Remember that it might cost you your freedom, but it's worth it. Remember my chains. And then he says, the greatest thing in the world, grace. Grace be to, grace be with you. It's all about grace, folks. Without grace, we would not be here. Amen. You want to live missionally? It all starts with prayer. And uh, the sooner we get on our knees, Christ will align our hearts and our minds with his. And, and then we will start to see all of these characteristics that Paul just talked about come out in our lives, and we will uh, be missionally-minded uh, people who will be living our lives according to the mission. So commit it to prayer. Listen, don't leave here today saying, man, oh, that's really great. I, I really hope that the body of Christ does something. Again, start with you. You're the body of Christ. Start with you. Lord, how can I be a more, if I'm not on mission, Lord, how can I get on mission? If I am on mission, Lord, how can I encourage other people to get on mission? Let's, let's, let's be in prayer about these things. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We're so grateful for just the equipping that we find in your word and how it reminds us of all the things that you called us to, Lord. We thank you that these aren't just words on a page, but they're words that have been filled with power from on high, your Holy Spirit, that, that we have the capacity to live out these things because of who you are and what you've done for us. And so this morning, God, as we, as we uh, end with this song, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this place. I pray that you would remind us, Lord, of, the, of, of where we are in our walk with you. And if, if there's th some things that need to change, God, will you, will you graciously uh, speak your word to us, Lord? Will you uh, season it with a little salt? And if it burns, Lord, that we'll, we'll just confess that to you and turn from whatever it is that we're holding on to, turn away from it and turn to you. We want our lives to match uh, 
what your blueprint is for us, Lord. You have a plan. Are we on mission, Lord? Are we accomplishing what you've called us to? Your word tells us that we are your poema. We're your poem, Lord. You've created good works that we should walk in them beforehand, before we were even born. Lord, we want to be on mission this morning. Will you baptize us in your spirit today? Will you give us the conviction in our hearts, Lord, to turn away from the things of this world and just fully commit to building your kingdom while we do what we do here on earth? So we just ask you to fill us now. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.